When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan Lobby. Before we get started here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, let me tell you about Football Insider, our text subscriber service where me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Alice Williams will text you with the latest on the Browns news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can text us back and we respond directly to you cutting through the clutter of social media. You also get opportunities to get involved in this podcast and participate in roundtables and other events for our subscribers. It's like a little club and you want to get involved with this club. You even get a newsletter every day. It's got exclusive content you either won't see on cleveland.com or you'll see before anyone else. You know what though? Don't let me tell you about it. How about if you hear from some of our subscribers as to why they love Football Insider? I, I don't know why any Browns fan would not want to have this. It's great. There's something every day. I mean, it's really, really key, keeps me in touch with the uh, the Browns. The daily newsletter that y'all put out there, I, I really like that. It's got a lot of links, a lot of different read-ups. I, I mean, just, you know, you get a lot of content. That's why I like it. If I'm at work or something, I need a quick break, I can hit that up and say, oh, and in a minute I can read uh, what you wrote and, uh, you know, see maybe that there's further information in, you know, one of your other articles or something like that. I get excited when I see, you know, my little text messages pop up. <laughs> so if you want to join us, you can start a 14-day free trial by going to cleveland.com slash browns and clicking on the box on the right side of the page. It's $3.99 per month after the trial. Or even easier, since it is a text service, pick up your phone and text 216-208-3965 to get signed up. Again, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. everybody, welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Pop Podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined today by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? Doing well, and also Ellis Williams joining us. Ellis, how are you? I'm cool, man. I found out this weekend that Dallas and Minnesota share the central time zone, so I don't even know what I was tripping about. It's all good. I've just been hanging on the central time zone. Time zones confuse me. There, there was, I, was in, uh, I was actually in Minnesota covering baseball one year. And I kept tweeting something out about like a rain delay update. And I just kept getting completely confused about which time zone I was in and who, what time zone I was tweeting towards the, the audience was in. It was very, very confusing. I feel uh, your pain. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. By the way, real quick, what's the best time zone to watch sports in? What do you guys think? I think mountain. I'm a big mountain time zone guy. It's like not too early, not too late. Hmm. I think, I think, Pacific time is a little too early. Yeah, that would be too early. I think I stumped you guys. Maybe uh, Central. I mean, Central would probably be good. Yeah, I'll say that. So, Dan, tough to argue you there, but just based on experience, longevity, Central is the most stable. But if you're going to have like a weekend in, say, I don't know, Vegas, if the, <laughs> the, the West Coast helps a lot. Those 10 a.m. games take you through the day. Then it's only like six or seven and Sunday night football is over. That's true. All right, uh, we've got Terry Pluto coming up in the second half of the pod, but first let's talk uh, about some news from today as we're recording this on a Tuesday. 
Kaderil Hodge goes on injured reserve uh, with a hamstring. He injured it during warmups on Sunday. It, it really left the Browns a little short-handed, although, again, as usual, you don't really notice it with this team because they don't play a lot of wide receivers. Uh, again, I think we're still at a point where they have yet to run a single set this season with more than three wideouts on the field. So at the beginning of the year, it would have been crazy to think, oh, Kaderil Hodge goes on IR. That's a topic to discuss. But it really is because he's been playing a lot of snaps. They obviously feel that he's an important piece to this. So let's look at that third receiver situation because the Browns have some options. And, and let's start with the guy that kind of took over that role on Sunday, Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, is, is he a long-term fix there? You know, long-term, whether it's three games or four, however long Kaderil Hodge is out. Is he the fix there? Is it as easy as just plugging him in? Or do we think he still needs some time? Well, oddly enough, uh, I was surprised to see that he actually played 44% of the snaps right. in that game. And that was more than I would have expected him to play. But I guess they basically just plugged him in. And it seems like they are doing a little bit more of that. Like they have gravitated towards a little bit more uh, three wides than what we would have expected, I think, from a Kevin Stefanski offense. They were not in three wides that much in Minnesota last year. So I think we're seeing him put some of his own stamp on the offense. And I tried to get him talking about that a little bit last week where, you know, he's gotten into this thing where he says, you know, hey, it's not fair to label this offense after three games. Let's not just call this a run heavy offense. So I think as it evolves and as they go along, uh, we will continue to see uh, more multiple different formations and, and plenty of three wides. And therefore uh, I do think that a guy like Donovan Peoples Jones, it's an opportunity for him to step in there and see what he can do. It's also a chance for, uh, for a Rashard Higgins to maybe get on the field. So I know you wanted to uh, get into to Donovan a little bit. I'll let Ellis take that over a bit, but um, you know, I think this opens up the door for a lot of possibilities. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring this out. And this might just be one of those scenarios where uh, these two receivers, Donovan Peoples-Jones and Rashard Higgins, are going to get a, a chance to prove themselves. Because what we do know here is Kevin Stefanski really liked Cordero Hodge. And there's a few reasons for that. First, you know, he's, he's clearly been improving. We saw that towards the end of last year, his touchdown in week 17, I remember, uh, versus the Bengals. It's just one of those plays that, you know, a, a professional receiver makes, and it, it showed off his ability to stretch the field. Um, then he had a similar one like that in training camp, and he, he kept making plays that made sense why Kevin Stefanski would like him, uh, much like his tight ends, and I, I would assume through the draft, their linebackers, they want receivers that – shockingly can do it all you need to be able to be where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there you need to be able to stretch the field and take a team deep and you need to be dedicated to run blocking and Rashard Higgins is probably two of those three or four things that I mentioned and what he isn't is a receiver that stretches the field now that doesn't mean Stefanski won't give him a shot or he's in some sort of you know this isn't a, a doghouse situation again I just I don't think Stefanski gravitates towards receivers of Higgins specific skill set and I'll, I'll end on this point about Donovan Peoples-Jones he's got a lot of work to do as a professional receiver but watching the tape it stood out to me he had a, a pancake block uh, on Sunday it was in the first quarter I believe on one of Nick Chubb's longer runs and he, they motioned him in and he took on a corner or box safety or whatnot but those are the type of plays that a receiver is just you know a pancake inside the tackle box if you will 
that just doesn't don't happen often. And it's a fiery play. It's what uh, Kevin Spansky is definitely looking for out of his receivers first and foremost, outside of making the plays downfield. So those plays are tough to, when you make a play like that, it's tough to justify, okay, you're going to come off the field now for a guy that wasn't active. I mean, those are the type of plays the coaches reward their players for, not lessen their playing time. So I, this is probably a race that Donovan Peoples-Jones has the advantage on. But then again, I, I think it was only fair and would make sense to give Higgins a chance here too. And, and, and they're going to have a, a probably an opportunity to duke this out definitely in practice throughout the week. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're both on the field at points on Sunday. And, and I'm glad you brought up that, that blocking aspect of it, because obviously that's been a big part of Kadero Hodges story. And, and I was curious, I just looked it up while you were talking. Um, he actually had a pretty good uh, run block grade from PFF, a 78-9. Uh, you know, he had the hold, um, which I actually just saw because I'm working through rewatching the game, but he did also have, you know, on an early Nick Chubb run, he had a really good block and, and kind of throughout the game there, there were some, there was some solid blocking there from, uh, from people's Jones, which is something you like to see out of a rookie. I think who's considered kind of raw. Look all the time, football insider folks ask, especially in the pregame Q and A's, why is Rashard Higgins inactive? Why, why isn't Rashard Higgins playing? Um, and, and I do think it comes down to a little bit of that skill set. I, I just think if you look at, who they've had on the field, it's been Hodge. They had JoJo Natson getting reps at wide receiver. And it does just seem like they're looking for guys who bring a certain level of speed and athleticism and the ability to, you know, run an end around and take a handoff. Put some of that eye candy out there uh, because you have to be worried about a Donovan Peoples-Jones coming around with the football in his hands. Um, so I, I think that's, that's partially what has kept Higgins uh, off the field right now. Well, the other thing to consider with Rashard Higgins, and again, even though he might not have the speed or the skill set to do some of those things, there is one thing that Rashard does very well, and that is he can catch some touchdown passes for, for Baker Mayfield. And Baker needs some of that right now. He needs guys that can catch touchdown passes for him. So if they still have the chemistry that they used to have, and Rashard still has the nose for the end zone that he has, uh, you know, I think there will be a place for him. And I think that there will be reps for him. And the good thing about Richard right now uh, is that he has worked really hard. And, you know, I did, I asked Chad O'Shea last week, hey, he was inactive. Is he in the doghouse? And the answer was no, absolutely not. He's doing every single thing right. So it is more of a, of a scheme fit situation. These guys are very scheme specific. Uh, and as we mentioned uh, yesterday, when we're talking about the running game and trying to replace uh, what, what is lost with Nick Chubb, obviously, you know, they're running reverses and jet sweeps and doing things like that. So you're going to want to have guys that can do that sort of stuff on the field. But I do think that Richard Higgins brings some value and he brings it in terms of just being kind of reliable and, and being there for Baker and also, there is just something about him. I do think that he has a nose for the end zone, and, and I think he's a good red zone player. Yeah, Mary Kay makes a lot of good points there, and it is important to highlight that Richard does a handful of very specific things quite well. And I, I'll end on this note when it comes to what is clearly becoming a, a, a scheme question with Higgins and Kevin Stefanski. Good coaches find ways to have their – players fit a system and maximize their abilities the great ones take what the certain players do well 
and then maximizes those abilities within their system also. So it, not saying that this would be a, an indictment on Kevin Stefanski or anything like that if he can't get something out of Richard Higgins, but it will be interesting to see if he can get Higgins onto the field and into opportune moments in the red zone and on some third and longs. You know, he's a big-bodied receiver, and, and now without Nick Chubb, perhaps the Browns are facing – more third and longs and if he can find a way to put Higgins in spots to make those critical catches because he'll have the one-on-one coverage that's going to be another feather in Stefanski's hat of that he's a he's a teacher he's an educator of this game because there is a skill set there with Higgins and it's a decent one and he'll have an opportunity in one-on-one coverage to make those plays that Mary Kay is talking about it's just if Kevin Stefanski trusts and is comfortable putting a guy who he's not his first choice out there. And we're, we're going to find out soon, I think. So I'm, I'm looking at the personnel groupings from Sunday on a uh, Warren Sharp site. Uh, their, their 11 usage was down. Now that was a lot of circumstance, right? Because they didn't have a bunch of receivers active. They were down to 25%, but Mary Kay, to your point this season, they've been a lot closer to 40%. I, I think Sunday knocked them down to uh, about 35% overall. Uh, but they've been closer to 40% most of the season, which I think is a little more than, than we expected to see them in, in that 11 personnel grouping. So that third receiver is important. The one other thing that I, and the, the guy I want to bring up here, and I wonder if it impacts some of this decision-making is David Njoku. Uh, he could be back this week. Uh, he's eligible to return this week. Now we don't know exactly. Uh, he tweeted something. I think it was maybe today that he'll be back, but you never know. Uh, it's a decision they'll have to make once they get him on the practice field. If Najoku is ready to go, though, and able to play, you've got a little bit of a log jam there all of a sudden at tight end because Harrison Bryant's been playing really well. Austin Hooper caught a touchdown the other day. Uh, they, they do run a lot of three tight end sets. But maybe Najoku takes some of those snaps away from a potential third wide receiver because he does have the ability to split out and play in the slot. Yeah, and, and once again, just – in the same way that we're talking about Richard having a, a little bit of a knack for the red zone, the end zone, uh, David Njoku is the same in that regard. Uh, he can get in, he can get down there and catch a touchdown pass for you. And I think he's doing a better job this year of, of really concentrating and focusing and catching the ball. We saw some issues in training camp, but I don't know. He seems more focused when he's on the field. And, and, and I think that, uh, and I think that that will bode well for him going forward to try to get some snaps. But you're right. Uh, now they have, they've got to go back to the drawing board in some ways. As you mentioned, Dan, they're getting Njoku back. They've lost Nick Chubb. They've lost Jojo Natson, right? I mean, there, there's a little bit of a sea change on offense when you get past Odell and Jarvis and Austin Hooper. Everything else is all jumbled up. Everything. So this week, you're going to be looking at going back to the drawing board with, you know, with your 11 personnel package, you know, what are you going to do with Kareem? I mean, when, you, when we talk about third receiver, can you use Kareem as much in that role if now you want him to be your workhorse back, especially because he's got the groin injury? So they have a lot of pieces and parts, and they're going up against a very good defense this week, too. But they've got a lot of different options and things and a chess game that they can really work with all these pieces. And it will be interesting to see how they manage the third wide out. The, how do they divide up the running back reps? How do they do the tight ends? It's, it's going to be an interesting offensive week. 
Yeah, and, and if I was in this front office right now, I would desperately want to figure out what David Njoku is. I mean, to, to, to truly define that asset going forward, I think is really important for Andrew Barry's, you know, second off season here, because it, if he keeps up with a, a knack for getting in the end zone and he shows those, those flashes of just pure athleticism and run after the catch ability, uh, you're really talking about a, a player that could be valuable in this system. Because one thing that really uh, stood out to me when I was studying Kevin Stefanski's red zone offense through the first three weeks was how he would use Harrison Bryant as a, wide receiver flexing him out putting him in the slot so really you're in 21 personnel but when you convert your tight end into a wide receiver you're you're essentially in 11 then uh and and Harrison's proven he can take those reps outside so you know I see a world where you have Landry Beckham and those three tight ends on the field with the third receiver now being your third tight end so the the, the possibilities Mary Kay you you really got my mind racing out with the, with all the combination they have. They're like an, they're like an Oregon duck uh, uniform combination here because they can really mix and match these pieces. But of course the, the ultimate goal is maximizing that. And they, they, I bet this is a pretty interesting week in practice there. Yeah. And, and Kevin Stefanski loves to have that big personnel out there and spread it out, you know, especially down in that red zone, like you mentioned, and, and they're doing a lot of different things with Harrison Bryant uh, I mean, he's accelerated really quickly, which isn't that big of a surprise, but he's really, you know, hit the ground running as a rookie. So, yeah, I mean, it's a good problem to have. And, uh, you know, with David Njoku, we'll see how they work him in. He had his best game against Baltimore and then got hurt. So uh, loses some of that momentum, but I'm curious to see how he fits into all of this. Uh, they have been getting Steven Carlson some reps even. So uh, maybe we'll see some four tight end sets. Let's get really wild. Let's have they said they there. would. They said they would do it. And hey, ever since Freddie Kitchens, when somebody tells us something that, like that, that sounds crazy, <laughs> we believe them. <laughs> right? Exactly. Ever since he made his wish, his weekly wishbone jokes, we, uh, we learned that we need to believe him. Okay, that'll do it for this part of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Stay tuned for Terry Pluto coming up after the break. All right, and now we welcome on Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I'm well, Dan. All right, hoping our internet holds up here. We've been trying to get this working here, and my internet kept going out. So, uh, you know, Kevin Stefanski would not put up with this. Let's just see how far we can make it here, Terry. Bad operation. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. I mean, like but the, the Browns Friday. now are Mr. Team Operation. They get their plays in on time. They go to the line of scrimmage. They don't have too many false starts. I don't know how to handle it. This is this is the Freddie Kitchens era, though. Here, our, our start of the podcast. So hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll be a little more. I, I went to that thing on purpose. That was, I, that's been impressive to me. Well, yeah, and I mean, let's start there. Um, yeah, everything is kind of running smoothly, and mm-hmm. I, you know, what really stood out to me, and and I wrote about it, and I asked Coach Stefanski about it on Sunday, is like the end of the half, right? They take the they take mm-hmm. over at the four minute mark. There's three fifty three on the clock. They know exactly what they'd want to do. They go out and they do it. And obviously, look, you need you need some plays. You need some guys to break off some big runs and things like that. But, uh, you know, just something little like that that really hasn't happened very often with this football team. It's just really impressive to run that game down to the half and then score again out of the second half. It was just really smart coaching. I mean, you can have the good running backs and you can have good linemen and whatever. It doesn't mean you're going to make it operate. That's why they have coaches. And so um, – you know, these guys, and it's clear Bill Callahan's impact on this team is huge uh, from the way they, 
I mean, I've never heard a head coach say, well, the offensive line coach is helping design the running place in the running game plan. Right? Have you ever heard of that? I never heard of that. No, and you know, the thing is everybody, every coach raves about what Bill Callahan has brought to this. Yeah. Um, whether it's prompted or unprompted. And I was asking a bunch of people during training camp about Bill Callahan and just everybody raved about what, what he's brought to this team. And I think the important part too, is coach Stefanski brought it up. He can just walk over to Bill Callahan's office and ask him questions and pick his brain when it comes to the head coaching stuff. I believe he was their first coaching hire, or at least uh, coaching hire uh, of, uh, uh, you know, that was announced. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it was him, I heard the moment he became available, they went after him hard and they, frankly, they paid big money to get him. So, which is, you should. Well, we talk about propping up the quarterback, right? Yeah. You should also prop up your 38-year-old head coach. You better. You better do that. And, you know, they've had some problems with special teams, but Mike Prefer has been a, a special teams coach for a long time and actually worked with Stefanski there. So Woods has been a D coordinator before, but I do think that getting, and, you know, Van Pelt too on the offensive side, but for this whole running offense and all that to work you need an elite defense you need elite blocking is really what it comes down to i saw pro football focus just had a quick thing before we came on and they rate them now the number one blocking team in the nfl yeah well i mean the offensive the offensive line has been great and that's a reason why you can put dearness johnson out there in that football yeah. game and, and he can break off all of a sudden he's breaking off 10 yard runs uh, you know, I, I remember like Denver, San Francisco, Denver in the old days with the Shanahan's mm -hmm. and then San Francisco. Put these guys in there. Remember that Terrence, was it Mozart or whoever that guy was? He or he Mostert. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, who are these guys? And they go <laughs> off in there. Now, you still are at a different level when it's Chubb and, and, uh, and, and Kareem, I, your, your client, Kareem. And I, you know, again, but I don't want to diminish that because those guys, you know, could take something that's pretty good and make it great. Right. And, and that's one of the differences is if there is a failure in the blocking or if there are too many guys coming, yeah. you know, Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb can make a guy miss in the backfield. And then when those big lanes open up, they can turn that 10 yard run into a 30 yard run. And I, you know, that's kind of, I think what you lose if, you know, Dearness Johnson or Dontrell Hilliard has to be, you know, the guy carrying the load for you. Yeah. I mean, look, Nick, Nick Chubb is Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb, I... I'm not saying he is Jim Brown, but of all the Browns runners I've seen since Jim Brown, he is the one that reminds me the most of Brown because of his size and power and the combination of speed. And he rarely fumbles. And until now, you know, he never missed anything. Jim Brown was a guy who never missed anything either. Um, Dan, do you know, because I meant to check this, the injury to Chubb's knee, is it the same knee that had the surgery at Georgia? I don't know. We need Honestly, I'm, I'm not sure about that. And, and I don't know if they've told us what knee it was. Um, if, you, if you remember with J.C. Treader, we didn't know what knee it was until we saw him at a scrimmage. <laughs> I forgot about that. So if we, we might be able to figure that out watch, and go back and look at the tape. Yeah, I, I know. I'm trying to remember in my head. I know it happened on a blocking play, and I believe it was – I'm trying to kind of recreate it. In my, so I'm not going to say anything here because I'm trying to recreate it in my head what I saw in the replay, yeah. but I'd have to go back and look. Well, we need to just see that. that that's the only thing that, that struck me this morning. I was thinking, wait a minute, this guy had major knee reconstructive at, at Georgia. I wonder if it's the same knee. So, but, you know, you look at that game and, and the, the, the coaching staff's getting a lot of 
good reviews as it should. Although I will say this, I went and looked at that Odell Beckham run again. <laughs> I still think it was a dumb call. I know it worked, but I did, it was a really high risk for no reason call in my mind. Well, you, you know, if you want to talk analytics, you have to talk process and result, right? And what really matters is process. And the process on that play was not good. No. So I'm, sure, I'm sure when Coach Stefanski was meeting with Paul D. Podesta on Monday and, and they were going through whatever they go through, I'm sure that uh, the process came up on that play. Um, the the that good thing the there, I, I kind of was breaking it down, is the fake. Was it a fake to hunt, I believe? It was a fake. To, at first, in real time, I thought they handed it to hunt. But, yeah, it was yeah. a fake to hunt. Yeah, that, that was so good. And you could see all these Dallas defenders going to that side of the field, which was the right side. So then Odell comes along, and it seems to me it took a while just for him to get there and get the pitch. Mm-hmm. This is where the process breaks down a <laughs> bit. And nobody blocks uh, Smith on the other side. He just comes wandering in now to probably when they look at it from a Dallas thing, they say, you didn't really keep containment very well. You, you, know, you took the wrong angle on it and allowed him to get right past you. But he barely got right. It, had, it took somebody like Odell's athleticism to get past him on that. And so, then there's no, then all of a sudden there's nobody for quite a while and then he's gone. So this was interesting. I actually heard um, Austin Hooper went on the Jim Rome show and he said they ran that when they ran that play earlier with Odell, I guess he's not supposed to block Smith. Okay. But the first time he stayed in and blocked him. All right. And then this time he let him go, but I still think there was a breakdown there yeah. uh, as far as how much penetration Smith got. Um, but yeah, you know, going back to Coach Stefanski, though, one of the things I wanted to bring up was um, something that stands out to me. We talk about what's different, right? He's really a guy that a lot of times these offensive-minded head coaches, they love to tell you when something works, and they love to take credit, and they, they love to kind of put blame on execution and things like that when things don't work. And we don't see that with, with Stefanski. And I thought, you know, when I went to Philadelphia and wrote that big profile on him, one of the things that stood out to me was that kind of servant leadership type thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think we're seeing that a little bit in in his approach here. He's not, he's not running to take credit for things. He seems willing to just run and give credit to people. And I think that makes a difference. These guys hear these, these guys hear these things. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing too, is, you know, some of these guys in their interviews, they say, you know, less is more. Mm -hmm. And then, but sometimes he doesn't give you much and less is less with him. He just doesn't want to talk about a lot of these things. And he knows too, how, precarious your position is as a coach you know you're a genius for a while until you're not and so that's I mean that's that's an issue but you're correct he doesn't want to do that and and it is interesting too that he did mention that they did call that play to Odell earlier in the game and it's kind of like well we'll try it again it probably is the classic of well if we do it again they'll never think we're going to run this play twice in the same game Right. <laughs> so we might be able to surprise them. It surprised everybody, I'll say that. So thankfully it worked. You know, now we got it's three and one. And I was talking to a friend of mine and, and she's like a casual football fan, but she's been watching these games the last few weeks, not just because they're winning, but they're exciting. You know, the ball, it, 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 part of the NFL is the entertainment value. And that's what used to kill the Browns fans in the past. Now where they're losing, you know, three points, 10 points, they couldn't score. Uh, where this is just a lot of fun to see, uh, you know, what, uh, what, what goes on on the offense. And I, frankly, the defense keeps you on the edge of your seat and holding your head, but. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, that's that's the area of concern still, I think. They're yeah. forcing turnovers, yeah. that's good. And I thought in this game, you know, against Washington, they got some gifts, right? I thought in this game, they kind of made their own luck mm-hmm. and actually missed out on some opportunities as well. So uh, at least there's a positive there. I mean, the big thing too is at least the defense is starting to do something because I thought in the first two games, they did nothing. They didn't do anything really against Cincinnati either. I mean, they, Miles made some plays, but uh, for the most part, they just outscored the Bengals. And, you know, you had a feel that game just kept going on and on. I mean, if they played another quarter, who knows who's <laughs> going to get to 50 first. But against Washington, uh, whether – and part of the reason Haskins made some of those poor throws is I think over time he got worn down by Miles and those guys coming at, at him. And yeah. it did get him a little bit jittery. And the same thing, you know, happened in the Dallas. They just kept, you just kept coming after Prescott, coming after Prescott. And, um, you know, the fumbles came. If you could at least develop an identity where you turn teams over, you've got something going for you. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're not going to be a shutdown, you know, we're going to stop everything defense. You, you almost have to force turnovers. Yeah. Uh, that's that's going to be the difference. We've seen defense that didn't do either one. I mean, the remarkable thing, by the way, right on, you know, Baker, seven touchdowns, two interceptions after four games. Yeah, so when you look at Baker and kind of what they're asking him to do, he did throw the ball 30 times on, on Sunday. Part of that was just because how much they had the ball early in the game. But mm-hmm. it seems like they kind of know what they want to do with Baker and the workload they want to give him. And at least for now, Baker seems to be okay with it. Baker better be okay with it. Yeah. Very serious. Baker better be okay. We have, you know, Baker Mayfield. Yeah. You won the Heisman trophy and he had some good games with the Browns as a rookie. The last year, Baker Mayfield was awful. Now there were other reasons for it, but he was awful. He threw 21 interceptions. He had the second lowest completion rate in the NFL. It wasn't all Freddie Kitchens and it wasn't all, you know, the offensive line or whatever, you know, some of it was on Baker. So what he needs to do is really find out what kind of quarterback he could be in this league. And they're putting him in position, Dan, don't you think to do that? I, I do. And then there's still some things I don't like when I, when I watch, yeah. I still think there are opportunities, you know, in 2018, he was so good in the pocket. Yeah. Right? That was one of the things that, that we came out of that season thinking, man, this guy is just so good navigating the pocket. And I think now, Maybe it's an after effect of what happened last year with the line. I, I don't know, but I, I see him leaving pockets a lot now. Yes, he is. Kind of cutting that field in half. And I think there's opportunities there for him to stay in there and step up and, and navigate a little bit. And that's, he, you know, know, that's I, concerning. I looked at some of the stuff in the Baltimore game. I haven't really done that, but I did really run some stuff from there. And this looked to me like he couldn't see when he was in the pocket. And it really looked like he, it wasn't just uh I'm getting out of there because I'm going to get hit, but it's like, I can't see downfield. And now it'd be interesting for you or the guys, Ellis and Scott who break down the tapes to really look at that. Is he bailing because of the rush or is he bailing? Cause he just doesn't seem to see the field. Yeah. I, right. I mean, if you go rolling out to the right side, you've cut the field in half. That's where you're going to throw the ball somewhere there. And you're clearing out that traffic in front of you. You know, I mean, because because the reality is, even as the NFL is is changing, and there's things mm-hmm. he has to overcome. And, and those linemen get taller every year. And somebody mentioned this to me, and I, I hadn't thought about that. The offensive linemen are taller. Yeah. Because they're so. In other words, everybody's like six four, and so they're standing up and they're blocking a six five guy. Um, 
it, it, it creates some some issues for him. But let's face it. I mean, the turn, the things that he did with it were negative, destructive plays. They've disappeared the last few weeks. Right. And, and he's he's making plays when he has those opportunities. You know, we talk about the size, right? I, I you know, Drew Brees is so good at it. And I, I don't want to necessarily use that comp. But, you know, there were plays on Sunday where he used an arm angle or he used a, a quick release or, or something like that to really, you know, make an adjustment when there was a guy stretching out an arm or, or yeah, a couple trying to get in his way. He's, he's still really good at that. And he made some nice throws to Jarvis on the sidelines. And that, you know, I love Jarvis. He's my favorite, favorite guy. And, you know, in terms of like coaching strategy, or I would say psychology, the um, decision early in the game to do the Jarvis to Odell pass, I think was imperative. Because one is, it looks great because, I mean, Jarvis threw it like an NFL quarterback and everything else. But even if it had failed, one is you got them both involved right away. It's like the coach saying, no, we didn't forget you. And secondly, if it gets messed up in the first quarter, it's the first quarter. And you're playing in Dallas, you know you're going to get a lot more chances to score. So to me, it really was a high reward, low risk. But frankly, the, the end around, I'm still stuck on that. Is like, that was a very big risk. It ended up being a big reward. But uh, I, I like that because, you know, what it did is both of them, instead of just trying to get one involved, they both got involved immediately. And they were given a shot, you know, in one of their favorite places to play, to make a huge play, and they made it. And if it and didn't work, it didn't work. That's all. And, and I think we've talked about that on here. Like, it's okay to, to burn a play. Yeah. If it means getting Odell Beckham a t- an easy touch mm-hmm. and, and letting and him try to do something like it's okay to do that because it just makes him. And I saw, I've seen this with Jarvis over and over again. If you yeah. get these guys engaged early, they're there for 60 minutes. You've got them. Mm-hmm. And then to say, man, they really want us to make some plays. When you start doing this, I'm throwing right. passes. And, uh, and then the flip side too, is that uh, I think that it will help them with their blocking, you know, that, Look, these guys want to win. Jarvis and Odell have lost a lot of games. They really have. Mm-hmm. And if they could have, you know, it's like they don't have to have the steak and the lobster and everything else there, but, you know, let them have some of the uh, main course and then they'll help with the salad and, and the other things that need to be done. And I, I, so that's, that to me was, I thought that was a really smart thing to do early on because it, it, it disallowed, it said, Hey, here's a message. You guys are in the, in the game plan here. And, you know, you've seen it with San Francisco and that they run those jet sweeps and stuff with receivers. I mean, who says you have to pass the ball to the receiver? Yeah. Just, just get the ball in their hands. Yeah. And, 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 and see, what, see, they can see do. what they do. And that's also a way of, okay, you know, we've gone 15 minutes and Odell's not seen the ball. So we run a sweep or something to him. Even if it's a, like you said, it's a negative play, it's a negative play, but it, it might be something sensational. I mean, he is fast. Yeah. And he is, you know, and he's strong too. That's the thing. His legs are strong. He can break some tackles and things. Right. And uh, let's spend some time on Miles Garrett too, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I feel like almost his performance got lost a little bit on Sunday yeah. because of the Odell stuff. But um, we, we've talked about this over and over again. Former number one pick still had that level to get to. Do, do you think he's gotten? to that level now where I know he always talks about wanting to be defensive player of the year. And the way you do it is make plays like he did on Sunday, three straight games now with a strip sack. We're seeing him kind of change games now all of a sudden over and over again. 
is this is this the best of Miles Garrett? Is there even still more there? I mean, perhaps there's. I mean, he's an elite athlete. It's, right. it's amazing. But yeah, I think you're going to see a little more of it because he, now he gets confidence. You could talk about wanting to be the defensive player of the year. Or I want to change the, you know, there. But your first year, you're 0 and 16. Then the next year, you're 7, 8, and 1. Then last year, that mess. So, you know, what has he really seen in the NFL? Now, it's like, not only is it good for me, I could make plays that change the game for my team, and my team can win off of that. And, you know, the other thing we have to say is there's, they're not getting anything on the, on the other defensive end much. Right. Will be a Vernon or whatever. So I'm sure he's, while they're moving him around, I would think, especially Indiana, Indianapolis rather, um, their coaches are really going to be spotting him and trying to make sure he gets blocked up. This is probably the best offensive line he's going to face. I, I, Baltimore is pretty good. They're, they're, they were still trying to figure some things out, I think, when the Browns played them that week. Well, this is probably the best offensive line he's going to go against, at least well, to this point. And, and the best defense, too, for the Browns to be facing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they're good. You know, it's, it's funny. I kind of make this comparison. Do you remember when – well, of course you remember when the Browns went to San Francisco last year. Yeah. They were putting up these great defensive numbers, but there was also a little bit of, well, is it because they're that good or is it because they just haven't played anybody yet? And I, that's sort of what I'm trying to figure out with Indianapolis. But I'm certainly not going to fall for that again. I'm, I'm going to assume they're a good defense until I see otherwise. Well, I mean, that's what the numbers are. And then it goes back also to, all right, is Baker going to stay in the game plan that they have? I mean, it, I, I hate the thing, game manager. It's like, this is the offense that is working. Mm-hmm. And this fantasy league mentality of the quarterback's got to throw for 300 yards or whatever is stupid. It just is. You know, this is about winning games here. And also – he's going to grow just like the offense will grow as they go along. Cause I'm sure they're not running a lot of this stuff yet uh, for him because they didn't have all this time to put it in and to Stefanski's credit. Um, and I bet Callahan, the old coaches are always, I say, keep it simple now. <laughs> keep it. That's what the old coaches do, you know, cause young guys have all these ideas. The old coaches are like, I want three good ideas, not 30. Right. And that's probably it. And, you know, how they're, how they're doing these things. And, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by this game coming up. Uh, you know, the Browns defense, it's always going to keep, make us nervous. Um, but the entertainment value, I'll go back to that. Cause that's a big part of it is high right now. That's what made it fun at the second half of 18 when Baker got going and, you know, I think there were five and three or whatever. Yeah. But a lot of those games, even a couple they lost, I mean, you were engaged in those games. I mean, they were fun. Right. And, you know, you knew this a little bit in that stretch, you know, when, when Freddie was calling plays successfully until he took it over full time the next year. But I think it helps too to kind of know, like we already know whether you've watched the Colts or not, we already know how the Browns are going to try to attack. Yes. They have an identity and you know exactly what this football team is. And I, I think that helps too. I mean, like, We've seen different times in the Belichick uh, era over at New England. Yeah, they had Brady, but man, they were just running the ball at you, you know. And then, and then Tom was picking you apart as it went along, but they, they were going to line it up and run it. And so, I mean, they're sort of doing that now when they get, especially when they get Newton back. So that there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. San Francisco, they play the same way all the time. 
right? I'm, I'm hearing, oh, you know, that's and they, you know, Garoppolo is not that good. You got him to the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? I, I mean, if Baker I forgot has what a, his one loss record is, but it's high. I mean, if if Baker has a Jimmy Garoppolo like season, I think he'll take that in year three, considering and, how and see, disjointed everything has been around him. Right. So so Garoppolo's a uh, you know between 15 and 10 ranking quarterback or whatever, you know, and what's wrong with that? If it fits what you're doing. And I, I also, you know, maybe some quarterbacks would not be willing to sub subjugate their ego to play this style. Uh, and that's a problem, but I don't see, I, I'll give Baker credit. I don't see that with him. I wondered a little bit on that. Well, I, I do think too, in, in talking about Baker on Sunday, again, the yardage wasn't, real high or anything like that but he made throws when he needed to except except for that one missed odell that Uh might have put the game on ice you know when it was third down he made throws and and that's kind of what they're asking him to do like they're averaging 39 points a game over the last three games right game manager is not a bad game manager is not a bad thing we should go look up how many times have the browns scored 39 points in the last 10 years not, not very often. I mean, seriously, how many? I remember that one game. That, well, this is more than 10 years. It's 2007 when, um, yeah, it was 2007, the second game of the year. They benched Charlie Fry in the first game. Derek Anderson played against the Bengals, I think it was, or one of those. And it was like a 40 or 50 point game. Uh, they won some high scoring game. But I, I can't think of too many others. I mean, 39. That means you have to score 40 for more. I, that's math. That's analytics, by the way. <laughs> well, they, they scored 49 on Sunday. That's what I said. But they're averaging, averaging 39 in the last three games. Yeah. And, and they're doing it without asking their quarterback to throw for 300 yards or 400 yards. It's, you know, and if they ask her to throw 40 yards, they might be averaging 40 times. They might be averaging less than 30 because you would lose your, you know, like you said, your identity. You would lose it. The, everybody involved in the running game, what do they talk about? Keep running it. The, the, the offensive linemen get a rhythm. The running back gets a rhythm. Uh, you wear the defense down doing that. Uh, so if you just decide, well, I got to get my quarterback a whole bunch of throws, um, that messes all that up. And you look at the fact that I mean, it is pretty amazing. The offense, it's not like they have Joe Thomas at left tackle. They got a right tackle from Alabama that they switched. And it's not like they got, you know, Gene Hickerson or somebody at the one guard. You've got Wyatt Teller, you know, who started, I think, eight total games. Now, Treader and Batonia are good, but not great. And then you brought in Conklin. And heck, when Chris Hubbard stepped in, all of a sudden he looked like a starter. Right. Why? I mean, Wyatt Teller Teller has been a revelation this year. Yeah, remember, that's always the Joe Thomas thing, how I'm holding my hand up, how your hand, you know, the five fingers on your hand, they all work together. Uh, and you know, it's when, when they're functioning correctly, the hand is really strong. Uh, it isn't like, for example, miles Garrett needs all these other guys on the defensive line to, to do things that would help if Vernon would bring some pressure from the other side or whatnot. But in the end, you know, miles just going after somebody, but if that offensive line isn't working together and it it doesn't have a blocking scheme that fits them and confidence in the coaching. And somebody was telling me too, that, um, Callahan's very good at, at making this stuff sound simple to the play. It's not simple, but sounds simple to the linemen. He speaks their language. That's, that's what you need. <laughs> Again, it goes, it goes back to where. I know they had an extra point blocked, but 
they got two out of it. Uh, right. But all of a sudden, the, the Cody Parkey era is back. <laughs> Who knew? Who all knew? You need to do, all you need to do is bring back Cody Parkey. Right. I mean, if you hang around long enough with these kickers, it's kind of like relievers in baseball. They, they, they tend to you know, come back again. Well, it all, it all kind of goes back to where we started, right? I mean, this is a very clearly better coach team than we've seen yeah. in, it in a long time. All right, Terry, uh, kept you here for about half an hour. The internet held up for me, never froze up. So there we go. We're making progress. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you check out Football Insider. Text 216-208-3965 to start your 14-day free trial. Terry, thanks for the time. You're welcome, Dan.